Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and once again I will be your host and I'm joined by Scott and Joyce. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Very well, I hope everyone is too. Another week closer to the playoffs and the tension is arising. On both ends of the table, uh, definitely so as well. So uh, yeah, let's go in. Absolutely, absolutely. It was the beginning of the uh, the classic cycling season as well, but there weren't too many classics on the pitch, I have to say, uh, unfortunately. But let's start on Friday night where Charleroi, they lost at home to Genk 1-0. Monobique and Leuven, big relegation battle, that one finished 1-1. St. Sudan celebrating 100 years, uh, battered Vestalo, but only 1-1-0. Uh, Mechelen beat Kortlijk 3-0 at home. Anderlecht left it late to beat Club Brews in the Classico. Ghent and Antwerp drew 2-all. Union beat Stanley 2-1. And then Cirque Labouche beat Erpen by two goals to nil. Let's start in Charleroi then. Uh, Felice Mazu has said that the side just needs six points for their last couple of games. Um, which looked all right when you looked at kind of how many games they had left. But now they've only got three games left and they need to get <laughs> win two of those. It's like, oh, are they going to be able to do it? Um, they faced Genk at home and this one probably should have been more than 1-0 let's be honest Genk finished the game with 19 shots 7 of which were on target Herve Coffey made quite a few saves I believe he has 6 saves that he made in this one so the cat was kept quite busy Um, and anyone who has cats know that they don't like to be busy they quite like to just kind of sit there and do nothing Uh, but unfortunately he had to do a lot (laughs) against Genk uh, it just took a while for them to finally score. Colin Saw comes on in the 70th minute, 71st minute, he finds the net. Uh, Zakaria Eluadi with another assist, two in two. Um, really nice ball in, actually. One of those really teasing crosses that just bounces in the right place. Saw with a really nice finish, actually, because so, how many times, guys, do we see when the ball bounces before someone strikes it that they then just balloon it over the bar? He puts it past coffee. Absolutely nothing he could do about that one uh, with the strike there. Finishes 1 0 to Genk, which. You know, it's just a perfect way to start the weekend for them, seeing as they just immediately put pressure on all the other sides above them to win because they were able to jump into that top six, which is what they're chasing. Um, yeah, very, very good win for Charleroi. It's just, again, it kind of put less, it put kind of pressure on the other sides around them, but in a different way because they had this chance to kind of take some points away from them. But unfortunately, not many teams did. And thankfully for them, they're still very, very much in it. Um, but it could easily have been way more than 1-0. And I think you even said to us, you're like, this side could really go down. Uh, talking about Charlotte, obviously, not Genk. Yeah, that's mathematically not more possible anymore, I think. But uh, but yeah, uh, the, the, at times this season, maybe I would have said the same. But also, well, for once, it seems like my I was a bit optimistic in whatever I said last week about the the playoffs and so on. But somehow, in in, in optimistic in a, in like in a Genk fan way here, but it looks like uh, actually everything has more or less turned out how I well I at least hoped it would turn out, and and well, but more or less said it could have turn out. Uh, yeah, let's see if that happens uh, for the remainder of the season as well. I fear not, but uh, that, I'm happy that at least. Yeah, people will understand now what I meant last week because in other hypothetical situations it could have uh, turned out a bit differently, completely different uh, scenarios. But um, what's to mention in this game? Uh, yeah, Kink was also not really great. Admittedly, could, still could have won a bit, made a bit more. Uh, but um, yeah, the pitch also didn't really allow to to play a much uh, the, uh, a lot better. Um, not going to use it as an excuse, but yeah. 
still it doesn't help <laughs> but um yeah and um yeah what, what Margaret mentioning the, the highlight for Charleroi probably the 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 pyro show before the game well actually from boats uh into the boats boat fa- fans uh fan groups uh had a really nice pyro show in the before the game started also a bit the way you like to have the, your pyro shows before the game not interrupting your game uh for as well and yeah for Charleroi well in addition to, yeah, they have to play on that pitch even more than, than the away sides, obviously. But also, yeah, they, they really have injuries everywhere, even before the game as well. Um, of course, like Sorgan is still not there. A few others uh, were already out during the game. Van Kleenput, uh got injured again as well. And um, there was another player whose name I'm now forgetting, I think. But at least I think there was another injury that they caught during the game. Hezevich, it might have been. Um, but yeah, um, it's all just it's time that the season ends for them, but hopefully for them, it's well, indeed, like indeed their performance was, was really, really, really bad. Can't say much. Um, yeah, like apart from, uh, Kortrijk, uh, which was at that time still a different Kortrijk, uh, yeah, probably the weakest performance I've seen against King this season. Um, I would say, uh, so yeah. and. That's where that's, of course, my comment came from. But of course, uh, yeah, they they really could go down if they get stuck into the relegation playoffs. I, I'm they they really might. Um, if yeah, okay, hopefully for them by that time, some injur- some of these injuries uh, will have um, resolved themselves. And for Jink, yeah, well, at two wins in a row, a right on time before the the difficult game against Klubrugge, especially now. I already wrote that down before. Um, the Klubrugge had lost their own game to give another spoiler, but um, yeah, now that that scenario hasn't uh, fallen, so yeah, they could overtake club even uh, club even if they would win the home game against them. Um, of course, it's also two wins in a row against sides you would expect them to win, but well, at least they did. <laughs> There's time. There has been time this during the season they did not do that even. So that's. Uh, Definitely, um, yeah, so, so, uh, some confidence back. And yeah, so Ben mentioned it scoring with his first touch. And well, we, uh, also Ben mentioned already as well, uh, the cat. More what with what you might call in Dutch at least that probably doesn't work in English, otherwise Ben would have probably alluded to it, but like with something you might call a cat's leg, so the cat beaten by another cat in in, in a sense. But uh yeah, a really nice finish, of course, from him. And yeah, well, okay. And a clean sheet, always good as well. Um the, somehow Hink is not doing so bad in the in that department either. Um but we'll talk about clean sheets a bit further on as well. At least I will bring it up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all set up very very nicely for for the big playoff one showdown or or two sides who are hoping they'll finish in in playoff one. Uh, Genk and and Club Brugge uh, next weekend. Um, that game's just become so much more important as as, as Joris was alluding to. And we'll circle back round to that later. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, on Charleroi, just you know another performance where they just didn't deserve to get anything out of the game. You know, it's kind of been the story of their season, um, really. Um, 
I'm glad both of you mentioned Herb the Cat Coffee because he had, you know, he had a pretty standout game as he's done a lot of weeks this season and he's needed to. I thought uh, Jeremy Petris uh, had a decent game as well. Um, but in terms of Charleroi, actually, you know, Felice Mazu, as Ben was saying, is going, you know, a couple of wins, a couple of wins, lads. And you're looking at those last three games and although there's probably... And the emphasis is on probably some points there for them. You're not entirely sure where they're going to come from. So this is going to be really quite close, I think, in the end. They've got Westerlo away, Circla at home and, and Ghent away. And in truth, I think looking at them, all three of those fixtures could quite easily go either way. So I, I think it's it's probably going to go to the final weekend for them. Um Bruno Erles at Molenbeek has been saying this week that, that he really is quite confident that they can win two of their last three games. I'm glad he's confident because I'm not. They've got a particularly big game coming up um, this weekend as well against uh, Cortrike, which we'll, which we'll talk about shortly as well. But yeah, Genk deserved the points and I think a slight improvement in form, probably just the right time. Yeah, I, I can't see where they're going to get these six points from. I can't see where they're going to score. They only scored, what, one, two goals in the last five games? Um, but if you finish the season with, like, I'm a big fan of his, but if you finish the season with Marco Ilamaita as your top scorer with four goals, like, <laughs> you've had a bad season. Like, that's for him, that's a decent like, season that he's not a goal scoring midfielder. But it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know, it feels weird, doesn't it? Because they're talking about the new stadium, they're talking about all this stuff, and it feels like there's this massive disconnect between what they're talking about off the pitch with what's actually happening on the pitch. And I think. They need just like this whole. They need a shift. They need to find an identity within the team. I don't think the team has an identity that they've had in the past, where it's been like they're physical, but they're not just physical up front. They're physical everywhere, and they've had the really good physical. Like, the wingers are physical. The strikers physical. The, the midfield is physical. Like, they, they've been quite like hard to beat because they they just like to bully some teams. But this team doesn't look like they can bully anyone. They just look really really weak. And uh, you look at of those three games. I think Vestalo is the obviously the most winnable one just because of kind of where they are on the table and therefore maybe recently they, they probably are safe. Like, let's be fair. There's just, there's so many teams in between them that they still can be caught, but I think we're quite confident that they've done enough to probably survive. And it's just, but I just don't see how they're going to be able to win a game because they can't score. <laughs> Coffee's going to have to play really, really well to keep the ball out. And I just feel like Circle will, like they'll have to, if they don't win against Vestalo, they're then playing to Circle's hands by, having to really go for it at home against Circle and we've seen this before like when teams will have a go at them Circle are very happy to sit back so yeah I, I don't know I just don't know with Charlotte at all and I think they just can't really afford to be in that bottom four because I don't think they look like they're up for it in terms of a yeah. scrap I think you're definitely right. We're definitely, I think, going to have one of those final days of the the regular season where sides games have finished. They they know what they've done and they're running over to the touchline to check phones and iPads to see how uh, other sides are doing. I think it's definitely going to go that way. I'd be very surprised if if any of the sides in the scrap at the moment manage to dig themselves out um, ahead of time. Yeah, and I think for Genk as well, I feel like it feels like they just picked up some form at the right time, doesn't it? Um, and then that club game is is pretty big. And you win that and suddenly you're, you're kind of looking at everything quite differently, aren't you? And I have to say fair play to kind of come back from some of the poor form that they've been in to look a lot better now. Um, or just at least picking up points, like scrappy points if they do, but just pick them up um, and take them and kind of, yeah, run with it, even without kind of being Genki in terms of like the recognised striker and the guy that's scoring other goals. It's kind of... Yeah, having to come from all, all places at the moment. Um, 
Scott, you mentioned that Bruno Ilez was confident in his side. Did he watch the Leuven game as well? Like, I don't know, like that, it just, there's, there's always these games, aren't there? And it, there's like a particular memory I always have, um, kind of showing certain signs of kind of historical ref- references and all that nonsense. Like going back to kind of the 2000s where it was Reading's second season in the Premier League and we're struggling, that like we need to survive. But there's always this kind of confidence that like we could do it. We've, we've got the players to do it. And then Fulham come and that's the big game. There's this game we have against Fulham. And you can just, you just felt it in the crowd that this is the most important game of our season. If we win this, we'll probably stay up. If we don't win this, we're going down. And this game kind of had it for me in the sense of like, for me, it felt like for the Modern Beats fans and the players, it felt like this was the game. Like this is the one. We win this, we've definitely got a chance. But they don't. And it, it just felt like that to me. It's kind of like this was your big, big chance to get out of where you are. They take the lead, obviously. Uh, Eli Kamara just, just turns Rika, completely fools him. Um, discussions amongst the, the the faithful here, the WhatsApp group, was it bad defending or good skill? I think we kind of like thought good skill, but you should defend that better. Uh, you just beat him far too easily. Biron then tucks it in. Uh, just massive difference having him back, isn't it, for them? He just he just makes such a difference, scoring some goals. Uh, he just he links up with everyone so much better than Gay can on his own. Like Gay, he looks big and he, you feel like maybe he could be a lone striker, but he needs, he needs a partner and he needs someone that's a little bit more kind of running around. He had a, a couple of good chances in this one, but yeah, Monobit couldn't take any more of their chances. Uh, Leuven get a free a corner uh, after about half an hour. Ball comes in, Pertings heads it in, but it could have been anyone really. Like the defending was that bad that he was just the one on the end of it to put it in. Interesting kind of team selection, I guess we could say. John Torsteinson, Scott, you raved about him last week. I've raved about him before. He was on the bench. I thought that was an interesting decision from Oscar Garcia. I thought in a game like this as well, would you want to kind of rest him? And maybe you've gone slightly more defensive, I guess, in your outlook on how you're going to play. But Maziz, to be fair, Maziz has started to kind of pick up in terms of goals and assists and just getting more involved in the play. So that's been quite important. Apoku started up front and I think he missed, if I remember right, he missed a sitter. But I can't remember when it was, but I'm pretty sure he missed a sitter. He missed a couple of good chances, I can't quite remember. Monobique had a great chance uh, in the second half. Gay dribbled around about three players but he just kind of lost his balance at the wrong time and couldn't put enough power on it to get the ball past Lace and finishes 1-1, which it's obviously in terms of positioning and table and all that is worse for Molenbeek than it was for Leuven. But I feel like Leuven probably looked at this game as well, thinking this is a great chance to kind of get ourselves pushed kind of away from the drop zone. But they haven't. So they remain just a point above Charleroi, whereas Molenbeek remain three points behind Leuven. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys agree, but I just felt that that was, that was Molenbeek's best chance to kind of win that and then you've, you've built something to get out of it yeah it's funny isn't it i remember saying a couple of weeks ago um and talking about um this particular feature uh, fixture from molenbeek's point of view and the one they've got coming up this weekend against courtright i felt that if they could beat leuven and courtright they would then be in a pretty decent position to in the worst case scenario at least make the playoff spot um they've not managed to win this one and Bruno Erles thinks he can win two of those remaining three. So there's Kortrijk, Anderlecht and Circle. Um, Kortrijk is the one that they absolutely have to win. Anything they get elsewhere is going to be a bonus. I don't see really any points in the final two games from them either. So 
yeah, I mean, I suppose from Bruno Erlis's point of view, what's important here is he, that he remains positive, and that's actually all that matters. So even if the messaging is a little bit off, which it is from all of us looking from the outside, how he handles that camp on the inside is is really important, I think. And I, I think there's a little bit of that psychology going on here. Um, Molenbeek, marginally the better side, but probably not deserving to to win it. And, you know, when you're playing within yourself a little bit like that, then, then there's a good chance you're not going to get the points. And, and, and they didn't. Looking at these two sides' fixtures, I mean, Leuven have actually got a reasonably difficult schedule for their final three games on paper. I don't see a great deal of points for them there. But the way things work, sometimes harder fixtures at this time of season are the things that squeeze slightly better performances uh, out of things for you. I have a gut feeling, and it's just a gut feeling, that that Leuven are going to escape this um, and, and perhaps be the... The, the the lucky ones come the end of the regular season and it's just a gut feeling it's not it's not based on anything at all I've seen or looked into it's just a feeling I I have but yeah things are changing week to week at the moment and I just uh, to be honest with you when you look at the sides I'm, I I don't see many points for any of them at the moment that's why I genuinely think it's going to go to you know it's going to go to the, the the stoppage time var things and everyone running over to the touchlines I was just saying. That might happen, but I, I literally see no points in that. I think I will turn to <laughs> Ben saying before uh, around, actually, like, I don't see where uh, where, where um, Leuven will grab some points while Molenbeek, if they win that game against Kortek already, then they're already level to them. Okay, they probably need to grab, scrap uh, one more point somewhere then, but nonetheless, uh, I, I've, I've, I, yeah, I, I'm a bit surprised that G- Garcia was so happy to play the play for the draw basically because this was also for them at least the most winnable game on paper at least um on, of the list uh, and and yeah actually more for them uh, than, than for for uh, Molenbeek uh, as a as we mentioned the Kortrijk game already as well uh, a crucial one for both sides fates uh, for sure um yeah um, not that much to add for the rest um uh, Makoso, uh, I believe it's a debut for Molenbeek. That might be worth a mention. Just want to give him a little shout out. Um, yeah, Kamara, the move in the first goal already discussed. Yeah, a brilliant move. But yeah, especially an experienced set like Rika can't. Yeah, you can't really forgive that kind of mistake in the situation they're in. Um, yeah, taking the lead, uh, Molenbeek in both of the games uh, that Irle uh, uh, has led now. Which is an encouraging sign in a way, I guess. On the other hand, of course, they also don't get all the points out of the, either of those games and are still winless in 2024. Um, but yeah, like I said, one could be enough to escape still. Probably, yeah, that might be true, but then they still will need to grab some other points, most likely. Um, yeah, and for, for Leuven, then maybe just to the random fact as well, like they scored 12 out of their 32 goals on set pieces uh, with uh, and only four of them are penalties. So that's uh, still 25% of their goal production coming from set pieces, which sounds reasonably high. Um, but yeah, that might say a lot about the rest of their game as well, unfortunately. Yeah, they're just not very good. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like, they're just <laughs> not very good. And this which, is why which... you should... Which is which a bit team? surprising because in, they 
if you look at the names, the squad is really not that bad. But yes, up front, of course, yes, we've all been saying that all, all, all season. I guess they, they're lacking something there. But yeah, on paper, it, the squad is not so bad. You just you want to just chuck like a, a Tomar Henry from back in the day in this team, don't you? And just see what would happen. Because you just, like Maziz, Thorsteinsen, Merton's obviously coming back now as well. Like you think you've got those three on the pitch, you should be scoring goals. Like those three are very, very good players, very similar players, but they're so interchangeable. You could do so many fun things with those three. The defence is like, it's always been a bit weird. <laughs> We've been spending for years. It's like they're just, they're weird at the back and they're weird up front, but in the middle, they look great. Like they have one of the better midfields that there are. It's just, it doesn't really click or work. And I don't know. Do you guys think Mark Bryce would have got, would keep them up? Like if he, if he'd still been there, do you think, he would like his kind of experience and stuff at this back end of the season because we've seen it before where like he just would pull out random wins out of nowhere and stuff like that. Do you feel like, do you think Oscar Garcia is the right man to get? Do you think he's got like enough kind of tactical kind of flexibility and tactical now to, to get anything out of these three games? Like, just that are that are two questions, of course. <laughs> now, just chucking all but, the questions that come yeah, to mind. But on this, I don't think so. I think. Like the, the, his time there was over anyway. I feel like I think he the, the playing squad probably needed the refreshments uh, and was not really responding to him anymore. Whether Leonardo Garcia is the right man to replace him, that's the second question there. Yeah, okay. At the moment, I would not uh, not say so because of the tactics. In like, well, not only in this game, like I've, I've seen other Leuve, uh, no, Leuve fans saying that like. He's actually playing on these draws against the lower sides. Yeah, inexplicably, I guess. Um, while these were the sides that they would grab the wins from. Yeah, but um, not saying it. he, he, he might not do it. Uh, but, well, I think there are questions to be said, even if they manage to, to, to stay up. Um, they, we'll see if he will still be there anyway next season, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite an interesting question, that, Ben, because I think, you know, Mark, Mark Bryce is a reasonably wily character and generally an underrated coach, um, I think, but he'd got himself into a very difficult position at Leuven where things had got a little bit toxic, probably with a small T. His relationship with some of the players wasn't great, I don't think. His relationship with some of the people upstairs wasn't what you would want it to be. And I think it just, the, the whole dynamic there was, was really not helpful. So maybe if some of that toxicity wasn't there um, maybe they would have scraped a few more points but I I, I don't think fundamentally the, the, the overall situation would be would be that different. Um, Yoris raises a third and arguably even more interesting question and in answering your one uh, around if Leuven do stay up and let's just say they do for a minute, is Oscar Garcia the man to be there for the longer term does the fact that he keeps them up win him enough enough favour um, to be given you know a clean slate and, and a new season I think Joris what he's alluding to and he'll tell me whether he's alluding to this or not is is here is um, has he done enough even if that does happen to to persuade the playing staff um, and and the, the the people upstairs at the club that, that he's the right man longer term because while there have been some small marginal improvements on an individual level I think with some players perhaps I'm not sure things have really changed um, at all in terms of the dynamic inside the club or or, or what they're bringing at all to, to to alter the picture but. Three really good questions. Yeah, yeah. and 
Yeah, and and um, yeah, of course, if he skips them up, then he will have uh, some more games in the in the in the other playoffs to prove himself. Where there is a bit more freedom, of course, I think that there will be a bit. Well, let's see what happens there. The, I guess that the, although I don't think that actually should play a big role because it's not likely that they will get anything out of that playoffs. Well, okay, but okay, that's all hypothetical talk, anyways, uh, for the moment. Uh, but yeah, that. And, but I do feel like that actually might influence the decision while it shouldn't as well, to be honest. But um, yeah, I'm not very convinced, let's put it that way. Either way. No, and I think your your point, I'll, I'll kind of double back to it later about them setting up. Like I thought this was a defensive setup and then hearing the fans say that that's what he does in those, those weak against those weaker teams. It's just bizarre kind of when they've got the kind of creativity in that that they do have and they're struggling. It's like you, you can't really defend either. So like what you, And we'll compare. There's another coach, I think, that can, can compare quite well in terms of what we think the, the strength of the squad and all that sort of stuff and kind of the issues they've had. So we'll get to that later on. Let's go to the Daiwasabi Stein Stadium. Uh, a full house, it felt like, at this one for the 100th birthday of St. Cluden. Uh They tried to burn the place down halfway through the, the game. Uh, thankfully, they didn't. But that's one way to celebrate your birthday, I guess. Um, and honestly, I don't know how this game didn't finish like 5-6-0 to St. Cluden. They just absolutely battered Vesselo. Like, they just were playing them off the park. It was just some wonderful football. Like, the goal they scored was great, but they had so many other chances to score wonderful goals. Um, kind, of, kind of on the counter-attack some nice play down the right-hand side Koita drifts inside, flicks it back to Ito, Ito dribbles through looks like he probably should actually play Boca at him but he decides not to, goes for a chip and Bolat's like it's your birthday guys, I'm just going to give you the present and just kind of flaps it into the back of the net, pretty rubbish goalkeeping to be honest um, I know there's there's moments with him where you, you see him and he'll make a save and you're like, oh yeah, that, that's why this guy's like been in this league for so long. Then he does stuff like this, you're like, how has this man been in this league for so long? He just he's such a roller coaster of a goalkeeper. Um so I'm interested to see, because obviously he wasn't number one at the start of the season. I'll be interested to see if if like where they're going with the goalkeeping situation next year, because I think there probably will be a change. Um yeah, Vesso really should have scored way more goals. I think they finished what was it, 15 shots, only three of them on target, which kind of sums it up. They were missing loads of stuff, but they just there was something really nice about seeing that place full and then playing the entertaining football that they play. And you just hope that maybe some people be like, no, I might actually come to this a little bit more regularly now. Like this was actually quite entertaining. Like they all obviously came for the Hollaback game a couple of years ago, wasn't it? When they were trying to push the playoffs, but they probably were like, well, it's not very entertaining, is it? But this side's very entertaining. Um, yeah. Like I said, it should have been more than one nil. Um, mad that they're both kind of, next to each other in the table as well, isn't it? Like, you just think the way we see their seasons having gone and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, there's there's a reasonable gap of eight points between the two sides, but fully deserved win. Happy birthday to Binky's boys. Um, yeah, just need to find a way to put the ball in the back of it more consistently, but that kind of feels like it's going to be a problem for next season now. Uh, but they can kind of just enjoy the rest of this season and spoil the party for a couple of other sides instead. Well, the birthday party was was a happy event. Uh, after all, they managed to get the points. Um, I was a bit worried, actually, as as has been the case with St Trudon for a lot of this season, that the big event was going to be spoiled either by them dropping points again or, and 
even worse, losing the centenary weekend game, um, which didn't happen. So I'm pleased for them in that sense. Um, yeah, I'm glad Ben, ben also mentioned um, the place nearly being burned down. Um, some people were clearly having such a great party um, that they thought they, you know, they need to liven it up even more. I suppose the question, and Yoris, Yoris asked this of, of me and Ben at the time, is how, how, how are things like that possible? We know that there are, you know, quite tight regulations as to what sort of materials um, banners and stuff can be made from. And w- when I saw it, it went up like tissue paper. So I'm, I've, I've absolutely no idea what that was made with. Uh, but thankfully, the, the the fire brigade were were on hand pretty quick. Um, uh, with 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 Binky's support, um, but yeah, it was great great atmosphere and feeling around the club this week. There was a there was a big march to the stadium and, and some events um, in St Trude itself uh, on on uh, the weekend leading up to this game. So they, they they made a bit of a weekend of it by the looks of it, and and, and fair play to them as well. Um, on St Trude specifically, I thought Koita, Ito, and and Van Helden all had really strong games, really really good games, and. On on Westerlo, um, you know, we've been talking about how good Romeo Vermont's been um, since he's gone there on loan, and I, they did miss him this weekend. I think not just in an offensive sense, but that that defensive work rate that, that he's got that I was talking about just last week uh, in highlighting. I think things like that were were missing as well. They are going to be all right, as we've been saying for ages. You know, no worries really there for them, um, and. Yeah, they, they they more than made their own in this game and, and made it a decent game, which was just as well because, you know, it was a party. Yeah, everything said again. The huge efficiency issue, but playing really well for Sinterada in their in their celebration game. I had a lot of fun with that with the bird, them burning down their own stadium, but uh, I'll spare I'll, I'll I'll leave it to that one sentence there, but uh, <laughs> you guys already talked about it as well. Uh well, not super remarkable news, but remarkable stat that I mention it now. I guess it doesn't matter, but uh, they are officially safe from relegation now. Sinterada, so well, they were not really looking into that at the moment, I guess. But uh, and and that actually w- with a negative goal difference of minus eight still, so, which is actually <laughs> mad in the position that they are in. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and yeah, in a way, okay, they're, they're now. I think they're a little bit too far ahead uh, way anyway, but uh, they're still playing both Club Brugge and Antwerp. So yeah, they could bring themselves into uh, uh, the, 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 this mix, uh, playoff mix, even more. Um, yeah, yeah, if it's one of those or maybe both of those sides falling through in a hypothetical situation again. Um, but yeah, they, they, do, they still need to play them still. For Westerlo, yeah. No chances until suddenly four in one minute. Uh, that was uh, for for yeah. <laughs> they, they they could keep on pushing the penny in, <laughs> and um yeah and then yeah four in one go hitting the bar and uh, ball of the line as well. I did believe in the same situation there from uh, Sidorchuk uh, for uh, among others. And but yeah, just an off day and not helped with that injury for over a month, yeah, indeed, and probably a few other uh, injuries as well that we might not be talking on. But either way, uh, they will also be fine, I guess. But yeah, they, they, the miracle that this game only went, ended with a 1 0 scoreline, indeed. Yeah, I feel like I need to apologize to Sidorchuk for praising him so highly the other week because he had an absolute stinker and got replaced at half time. But they just couldn't deal with the midfield at all with St. Jude and like. Ito just, like, he's been one of my favourite players to watch this season. Like, he's so technically good 
and he just picks the right places to stand and pick up the ball. And yes, Adorjic got hooked at half time, and I was just kind of like, I owe that man an apology for cursing him. Um, yeah, no, you're right about Vermont and stuff. It's just that Frigan, most expensive signing in their history, and he's just not really displayed that yet. Hopefully, it's just kind of like he'll acclimatise and maybe over the summer get better, and DeMille can kind of work with him and get him to kind of the levels that they expected him to be. But yeah, hasn't been great. Um, on the other side, I think kind of be nice to touch on as well to say that like this season for St. Students is it kind of from the outside looking in and maybe you guys can correct me if you if I'm reading this wrong it feels like the club is connecting more with the fans than it has done for a couple of years in terms of the ownership was getting a lot of criticism for like the way they were operating and stuff like that they didn't really kind of get the young players coming through there's a massive disconnect there was a heavy like kind of insistence on bringing Japanese players in and it's kind of like no but as this season they've managed to blend the two things together you then have this you've got entertaining football it feels like maybe there's just been a bit more of a connect between the fans but I don't know maybe burning down their stadium was actually a protest because they're still not happy I don't know um I've seen it once before once before went to a Bulgarian the, the Sofia derby in Bulgaria and the fans just start burning the national stadium and setting tires alight and stuff like that but that, I think, was a little bit more expected than in Belgium. I think the regulations in Bulgaria are slightly looser on uh, what you can bring into the stadium. Um, but, yeah, one side that definitely aren't safe from relegation of Kortrijk. Uh, they travelled to Mechelen on Saturday evening. And, yeah, so we mentioned Oscar Garcia when he faces weaker teams, this kind of idea of kind of going a bit more defensive and stuff like that. And then kind of the impact on the squad and stuff like that. I think Besnik Harsey is kind of the example of the different, you can do it very differently. Um, and we'll just wait for Scott to come back. There we go. <laughs> uh, Besnik Harsey is kind of yeah, the example of how you can you can do it differently and you can get stuff out of a squad that's been underperforming. And he's definitely done that this season. And yeah, they were in fine form once again against Kortzleich. Kortzleich did have a couple of chances, but they just didn't take them. Whereas Mechelen were happy to. Another counter-attack goal, uh, Korshaik set-piece, gets cleared out. Antonio picks it up, eventually falls to Rob Scoofs on the halfway line. Antonio continues his run, he bursts through. We've kind of said Islam Somali is not as quick as he maybe once was. But if you watch this goal, the man, he motors on and he's catching up with Bill Antonio at some point. He's never getting there to help him finish the goal. It's a lovely finish from, from Bill, celebrating his new contract as well. Fantastic to see him kind of flourishing in this side at the moment. Um, they then, in the second half, like Mechelen have had a quite a few chances. They score a second goal that is just weird. <laughs> I just kind of looked away because I thought, oh, the, the, the ball's been called out. It must have gone out. But yeah, Patrick Flute comes on, drives the byline, crosses it in. Vandenberg just kind of like pushes it into his own goal. Really terrible goalkeeping. Like, let's be fair. Really, really bad from him. Did the ball go out of play though? Like, I don't think it does when he when Flute crosses it, but it just looks like it goes out and then comes back in. It's really hard. Like I just don't know how you do that without kind of the goal line technology going all the way across the line or like Hawkeye, like in tennis or something like that, where you can really see it. It was a really difficult one. Um, they gave the goal because I guess it was just, it looked like it stayed in, so they decided to give it, which would be a bit annoyed if you're caught like about uh, they then Mechelen get their third goal again on the counter attack. Uh, Nicholas Storm coming off the bench alongside uh, Bilal Bafdidi. 
Uh, he finds Bilal Bafdidi. Bafdidi shoots, takes a little bit of a deflection, goes into the back of net off the post. Uh, he didn't really care at all. Um, solid, solid display from Mechel. I think it's it's always a good sign, isn't it, Scott? When like, I know the foot mob ratings can be a little bit odd, but if you go on it, the lowest of your starting 11's rating is 6.8, which is like a solid average score. Everyone else in the 7s and 8s and stuff like that. Um, Galan Nanga, I think he might become a fan favourite amongst the fans. I think he's got something about him uh, in defence as well. He loves kind of messing around a little bit um, and kind of getting involved in things like that. So, yeah, solid, solid win for Mecklen. For Kortzlaike, it's just they had that little bit of kind of impetus in getting stuff back, but it feels like that's it now. Um, they they just have to be modern beat next week because well, they've they've probably got absolutely no chance. Yep, another good weekend uh, for Mechelen. Um, I suppose they'll be hoping that the the season never really ends in a way. Um, you know, because they've you know been gradually improving as as we were talking about last week. You know, s- since they they came back from the the winter break, I have to give a big shout out to uh, Manish Garananga. Actually, um, I I like him the more I see of him. Um, I think his positioning is very good. Um, I think his tackling is very well timed, and I think he looks like a really interesting pickup. In fact, he looks like he's been there for ages. He settled in uh, really, really well, and you know, with Fulon on the other side. Then they're already complementing each other really quite well. Um, yeah, another good weekend for them. And actually, it could have been could have been a few more um, in the end. Cortright were were pretty poor, and and arguably their worst performance since Freire Alexanderson came in. He might disagree, but I just felt they didn't offer very much at all this weekend. They had a great chance. Uh, to take the lead, Dion Deneuve uh, missed a one-on-one that he couldn't even get on target. And when you're in the trouble there, and you've certainly got to take chances like that because you don't get very many like that. Um, yeah, so so pretty poor. And I, I thought, and regular listeners will know, I like my body language. I felt Alexanderson's body language was really interesting in the touchline. He looked um, he looked pretty passive to me for somebody who who's been very active both physically and and vocally since he came in. Um, I don't know. It just it just looked like there's been a bit of an atmosphere change in the group again. I felt um, Sasako had a decent game. I have to say for for Kartrike. he, you know, he was reasonably up for it and probably um, you know should have should have arguably should have stayed in the pitch. He had a couple of tackles, but I thought against other referees he, he might not have been so lucky. But um, at least he was putting in a shift. But yeah, great three points for Mechelen and for Kartrike now. Um, it's a case of give it your all and kind of just cross your fingers and hope for the best now yeah and win that game on Saturday I think that's the only option they have as well that uh, track, yeah um, all but relegation playoff uh, official now uh, to no one's surprise of course <laughs> at this play rate but uh, yeah I think that they've they are eight points behind for I believe. So if they win all their next three games in Leuven, <laughs> in or Charleroi, in or in or <laughs> other teams, uh, the don't grab all more, as well uh, many points as well, then maybe they they still have a chance. But yeah, it, that's just not going to happen, is it? So, but uh, yeah, indeed, the the Neve missing that chance. Van uh, Van den Berg, Van den Berg being back in goal, and then yeah. Twice in the first two goals, not looking great, as Ben already touched on a bit as well. Um, especially the second one, of course. Uh, but the first one also felt like he his positioning was not great there. Um, and for Michael, on the other hand, well, yeah, all blue skies. Um, 
by FDD first goal and a 10th clean sheet going joint top in that classification. Who would have thought that <laughs> not that long ago? <laughs> now, this team could defend. <laughs> what is going on? Who taught this team oh. how to defend? I, I I guess the answer lies in 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 Besiktas a bit as well. That's I think that's what he sorted out mostly. Um, yeah, whether that's yeah for and that's definitely something that I really need. I'm still not necessarily completely convinced about his managerial qualities, but for 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 Michela at the moment, he, he's really been well. Can't argue with with the stats he's bringing actually so far. I mean, over the last five games, they're the third best team behind Anderlecht and Union. Um, so that's quite quite something, isn't it? Whereas Kortrijka, 14th. So improved a little bit, but just not enough um, at the moment, unfortunately. But I think we said when Alex Anderson came in, didn't we, that it's kind of, it's kind of like a, he just, if he keeps him up amazing, if he doesn't, he was given the hardest job to do anyway. So it's kind of, you can't really fault him on what happens. Um Let's go to the other end of the table. I feel like we've been at the bottom for most of this chat. Let's go to the top. Let's go to Anderlecht uh, travelling to Club Bruges. Um, good start for the home side. Uh, Fern <laughs> Eukla finishing off after Kossum. Uh, Nusa's headed back across by Van Aken. Eukla tucks it in. Guys, who needs Thiago Rodriguez or Igor Thiago, whatever whatever name he wants to go by. Eukla, four goals in his last four games. Uh, he's starting to really find his form again, starting to kind of look more like the player that he had for like a brief period at the beginning of his kind of club career um, until these injuries. And I don't know, you just you just think if, if he's going to stay next season, that's, that's perfectly fine. That's like more than adequate. Just find a kind of striker that can support him if he gets injured or anything because, yeah, really nice little finish from him to make it 1-0. Um, Randlett... They hang about in this one. Uh, so Club do finish the game with like 16 shots, uh, six of those on target. But into the second half, late in the second half, um, lovely ball in from Anders Dreyer, I believe it was. Uh, so his ball in, no, sorry, this was the Torgan Hazard assist. Torgan Hazard puts the ball in. Big Louis Vasquez. Um, he somehow managed to get himself onto Maxime de Kuiper instead of any of the centre-backs, which I did read in one of the papers. They were like, well, it's not his fault, but all the goals came from Maxime de Coyp. But it's like, well, if he's up against Louis Vasquez, like it's it's not his fault that he loses the header, is it? The, the man's like quite a bit taller than him. Uh, lovely header from Vasquez into the back of the net. Uh, into added time and left on the counter attack. Uh, Augustinson leading it. He plays it across to Anders Dreyer. Uh, Dreyer's kind of shot come cross to the back stick. The club defence falls asleep. Mignolet falls asleep. Uh, Nilsson Angulo does not fall asleep. Uh, he's there to tuck it in. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you heard um, on the Dutch commentary, guys, but it felt like I don't know who the co-commentator was. Just kind of let out a bit of like a oh no, or like a sigh of kind of like annoyance. And I was like, oh, that's going to go down well, isn't it? <laughs> because all the other teams would have picked that one up, won't they? Um, but yeah, no. Anderlecht just yeah, they they come out of this one with the win, massive massive win for them, for club. A lot of frustration amongst the fans after this result. Um, do you understand? Because obviously it means they're well in the fight to not make the top six, which would be crazy. I, I, I still think they're going to do it, but it would be a little bit mental if they didn't do it. But they've only won one of their last five games. Um, they've, they've been dropping points, which is super, super frustrating for them. They're obviously still fighting on three fronts as well. Got a reasonably decent draw 
in the Europa Conference League. They've got, uh, it is Malmo, not Mulder. I'm trying to remember which one of those two. It's Mulder, isn't it? They've actually got Mulder, not Malmo. Always get those two mixed up. Two Scandinavian teams, like just obviously in different countries. They've got Mulder. Obviously, Wally Dyler will have, have been there a couple of times during his Valenga days. Um, should get through that. They've got a great chance of going quite deep in that competition. Yeah, well, but the big game of the weekend, the uh, depending on your yeah, persuasion. Um, I was talking to into this weekend about it's, how it's, it's arguably still the biggest fixture in Belgian football, depending on your persuasion. I know plenty will disagree with me. You know, there are historic reasons why Anderlecht standard is arguably the bigger fixture. But I think from, from an outside point of view um, and a, a, a non-club allegiance point of view, this is still, you know, to many, the biggest fixture in Belgian football looking in from the outside and I was looking forward to this one and it didn't it didn't disappoint the opening sort of 15 20 minutes you could really feel the the old animosity that you knew was going to be there um typified by you know Max Ritz getting booed every time he touched the ball by the Holmes fans which I suppose you would kind of expect um lots of handbags there um, Anderlecht started very brightly and I, I felt they were the better side throughout the entire game I do think they deserved to win it um, they stuck to their task played their game and ultimately were rewarded one of the interesting things about this whole game this weekend I think was that I felt that, that Club Brugge tried to manage the game and not win it so much whereas Anderlecht quite obviously were trying to win the game from the start and psychologically it was just kind of interesting Ronnie Dyla has this thing sometimes in big games where he makes tactically and and in terms of substitutions you know things that might be perceived to be a little bit negative and club's big players didn't turn up in the way that we know that they can really this weekend and I think that 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 let them down a little bit Anderlecht stuck to the task and there was a period in the second half of 15-20 minutes but it looked like the game had maybe slightly gone from Anderlecht the energy levels dipped a bit Brian Reimer obviously noticed this and made some substitutions uh, which which worked quite well for them as well uh, but I think tactically he he laid his stall out really really well and they deserve to win and they're on an amazing run of form really I know we keep talking about how resilient and consistent Union are but fair play to Anderlecht I think that's um, a run of 16 games or something something like that now um, and really it's going to be them or Union barring something rather extraordinary I think and the biggest question around the 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 Brussels destination of the title, I think, is when you look at Anderlecht's three remaining fixtures in the regular season, they've got fixtures that, if they had a choice, they would probably pick these three. They've got Eupen, Molenbeek and Kortrijk. I don't see them dropping any points there. And I'm wondering if Union drop any in their remaining games, then that gap is going to be reduced even further and we really will have a, a proper tight race again. So that's the big thing I'm looking out for. Um, but a really strong week from Anderlecht and they're, they're continuing to play the Anderlecht way and that's predominantly pretty entertaining football. Still still agree to disagree on that point but uh, we scored that last point. But this time it was definitely right though. The, the no arguing there, but sort of overall... Well, let's see. But um, definitely they're on a good form. Four wins in a row now as well. Uh, gaining uh, more on the three teams that were behind them before this match day as well. Um, yeah, definitely on, on a roll is a, is a word, I guess. Um, I'm also still hesitant to just say that the title will go to Brussels, which given there's still a 10 play yeah playoffs going on like it's very likely like I don't also don't see and I've no idea who that might be but like oh, maximum one team still be able to somehow 
jump out of that cluster of teams that are now fighting for the, these final uh, playoff spots. Well, final actually for four of four of the uh, six playoff spots even uh, still. But um, yeah, um, also well, it's it's it has no well has nothing to do with anything. But just I found it a little funny to see like a lot of Scandinavians on the pitch uh, on both sides. And in the end, it's uh, the Spanish speakers that have decided the games on the on well have, have contributed the goals and on both ends uh, as well. So um, yeah, well um, yeah, on one end actually, but on for both sides at least. But uh, yeah, and Club Brugge, um Ben mentioned one win in five now, sucked in that Champions playoff race in the in the completely wrong way. Um, yeah, apparently I saw just saw like uh, the, the Pro League tweeted that it was the 400th game of Hans van Aken in the Jupiter Pro League. It's like not only for Klubbrugge but also for Loke, but yeah, in in the league, um, their first home loss in the league as well. Um, now the only team that is still unbeaten at home is yes, you guessed it, Anderlecht um, as well. So that's also pro- point, proving that point of uh, them being in the good form. Um, at least in points this season uh, for a large part there. And yeah, Scott already touched on my final thing as well. Like it lo- really looks like Dylas size can't play 90 minute games in the Belgian Pro League. Like Standard had the same issue last uh, last season and it, it seems like he transferred with him to Club this season. It's such an interesting one they were already good th- this week alone there, there's be been a lot of, still, it, yeah, certainly in Club Rouge circles, there, there has been a lot of criticism <laughs> of Ronnie Dylas in a way that I haven't seen um, I, I've seen, you know, l- little snippets and snipes around certain choices throughout the season, but th- th- there was a lot of discontent around um, just his his approach, and that's even kind of transferred to the atmosphere in the club, questioning other other aspects that that aren't even anything really to do with kind of Ronnie. So I, I think there is a sense that. Some of the fans are are remain to be convinced, despite that long period where things were were really looking very good for them. Um, you, you're always going to be judged on you know when it really matters, and it's beginning to look at the moment like they're 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 falling short of where they would want to be going into the playoffs. And yeah, I agree with you, Ben. Let's just assume they they do make a playoff one spot, which I think they will as well. Um, it's it's just a huge week for the the club all round, and it was always going to be. It started badly for them all. Obviously, but you know they've got the cup semi final, um, which is tomorrow night as of as of recording, um, and then they've got they've got Molda in Europe, and it is beginning to look now like Ronnie Dyla probably has to produce something either in Europe now, or or, or winning the cup um, in order to, to to kind of settle things down a little bit. A lot of talk about spending a lot of money, but not spending it wisely amongst the fan base and things like that, and. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of they started the season quite slowly, then built up ahead of steam and seemed to be really coming kind of quite good. Um, and yeah, maybe one of the wheels has come off. Maybe that's how I would describe the overall situation at the moment. It's also going to be interesting that that tie against uh, Union in the cup, uh, because like they're already from Union side. A few things happened in the build up. Uh, Verges, of course, or this uh, tweet from the uh, uh, or was it uh, Instagram story about uh, about the 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 far well, <laughs> yeah, okay, you don't need to go too much into that, but yeah, Verges fans that are the, actually farmers uh, based on their nickname, 
um, yeah, the, arriving early on Monday already, but also Blessing now in his press conference already wrote them officially off uh, for the title as well. Like realistic, he's apparently he said realistically the cup is the only the thing the the thing that uh, they still can win this season. Probably that's a bit a headline a bit taken out of context, I would assume. But otherwise, that sounds well. I, I, if you're as a Klebrige player, not ready for this game, I'm, I'm not sure what will get you there. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, and it's it's a good thing that those fan bases love each other and really do enjoy each other's company. So I'm sure it'll be an absolutely chilled out atmosphere. Um, I think the biggest kind of the biggest red flag for me and Scott, I think you've mentioned it. And I think actually both of you have mentioned it. It's like, let's look at the two games where he's been really criticised of these kind of these changes. It's been the Antwerp game and it's been this game. Two games that they were winning, two games that they've lost late on. I think there, there has to be something in that. And yeah, I think I if I was a club fan, I'd be frustrated because I'd be like, they're so used to it. If they're winning, it's not about, you don't settle for like kind of just the one nil D. You go out and you, you kill the game off. You, you make sure you punish these teams. And we've seen them in the playoffs that like even last year, like they weren't going to win it, but they're still, they performed in it. They, they played spoiler and stuff like that. So the pressure is on them to still perform in the playoffs because they're used to being that team, aren't they? That comes into the playoffs. It's like, right, this is kind of, if you're an NBA fan, sort of like Miami Heat in the playoffs, like they, they just think that they've got it their time. It's always their time when it comes to the playoffs, doesn't matter who they're facing. So yeah, I'm, I'd be slightly worried if I was him, uh, because you could then if they don't win this cup tie against Union, you can kind of say, well, he's he's dropped another one, hasn't he? Because they were in a winning position, and then if they don't, um, so interesting. But then if he wins the Europa Conference League, it'd be quite weird to sack him <laughs> if he delivers their first European title and the first Belgian side to win a European Cup for a very long time. So. We'll see what happens. Uh, speaking of Antwerp, let's go to their game against Ghent, uh, which was actually quite entertaining, I have to say. This was quite a fun one to watch. Um, good atmosphere, as you'd expect, between these two sides. Ghent started on the front foot. Uh, they actually played quite well in terms of attacking-wise, which is very strange because usually you're, kind of, you're struggling to find where everything's going to come from. But I thought Archie Brown had a really, really good game on that left-hand side. That's one of the better kind of offensive games I've seen for him really offering more making kind of more decisive kind of choices with the ball uh, which I've been kind of a little bit frustrated with him kind of he's got kind of all the attributes to do that you think but he doesn't always do it but he did in this game um, that helped kind of lead to the first goal some lovely play on the left hand side ball comes in it just hits out of Ireland and goes in for an own goal to make it 1-0 um, Ismail Candice probably if Hein van Heinsberg had been on the pitch, he'd have hit him in the face um, and thrown him just anywhere he could find. I've never seen him that angry with a single player. And thankfully, it was all captured uh, by the TV crew. It was fantastic. So it's just that classic, classic Sunday league case of where the centre-back thinks he's got so much time on the ball, despite all the offensive players kind of being around him and stuff. He takes a massive heavy touch. I think, is it Yusuf that Nixon goes in and takes the ball ahead of him? And he just boots him because he's going to boot the ball. But if he hadn't, he didn't need to take the first touch. He just needed to clear the ball, which is exactly what Hein was saying, but probably in less polite words than that. He was absolutely steaming on the bench. Like He was shouting at 
anyone that would listen. Like all his assistants got the uh, the chat from him. If it had the, the teapot, the hairdryer, the treatment, all that sort of stuff, um, it was pretty bad <laughs> from Candu. So I have to say, and Yusuf actually, I'm pretty sure he did something similar, but in the Afcon to give away a penalty against one of the teams. So he's kind of he learned from his own mistakes. Um, but yeah, Ondreska this time decided to take the penalty. Um, Kili Janssen and Alderweireld are not to be trusted with the penalties anymore. Uh, Andrejka steps up to put this one in uh, to make it 1-1. Although Schmidt could have maybe saved it. I don't know. He did get there. Uh, he just couldn't quite keep it out. Uh, but the, the parity didn't last very long. Archie Brown again with the ball in. Uh, Peter Gerkins just beating very, very lackadaisical Antwerp defenders to the ball to make it 2-1 to Ghent. Um, once again, no second half or no more than 45 minutes for Mamadou Sonko. He is very much on a minutes restriction. He literally is not allowed to play more than 45 minutes. And I think that's fair. He does not look at the pace like at all. Um, he looks really, really off it. So I've just decided this season, I'm not even going to judge him at all on any of his performances. I think we wait for next season. I think it'd be ridiculous to judge a man that's just, he clearly has not had the kind of pre-season that he needs to come straight into a regular season like this. It's just really unfair. But I think they're doing the right thing by at least getting him on the pitch and getting him kind of used to the Belgian game and stuff like that. Um, T comes off at half-time. Ghent continues to have a ridiculous amount of chances. They finished this game with 13 shots, but they actually was at 2.51, which is pretty high. Uh, Antwerp's is two, to be fair. So it's like there were chances in this game. Uh, they bring on George Ilahigna and he makes it level in the 84th minute. Again, it's just all these crosses coming in that just people didn't seem to be able to deal with this weekend. Everyone falls asleep. I think it's Nulio who's guarding him and this uh, marking him guarding. Well, my basketball chat's just coming into my head there. This is ridiculous. Marking him, let's be kind of football chat. Well, uh, he was not doing it either one he, of Yeah, he wasn't doing it. Whatever you want to say, he didn't do it. Ilahigna... Uh, kind of like Gherkin's got, it was very similar, was it? Just like snuck it and, and put it in the back of the net. Hein, again, absolutely livid because it's just that would have been a massive, massive three points for them. Would have been a massive loss for Antwerp as well, just in terms of how that would have shifted everything in the top six. And then Ghent drop out of the top six after that result. Um, Antwerp stay on 45 points just behind Club Bruges. Good game. I really enjoyed this one. I, yeah, fantastic game to watch. And this is what we want to see in the playoffs if all these sides are going to get in there. Yeah, it was a really good game. And um, considering the amount of chances that both sides missed, a draw was probably the fair result. Um, but if Ghent had taken their chances, then they would have won this game, I think, um, no matter how many Antwerp would have scored. This has kind of been the story of Ghent for a few weeks now, since since the wheels have come off there a bit, um, since we've come back after after the winter break, um, and they haven't gone back on. Um, they, they, they've had great spells in games uh, where they just haven't taken chances, which if they had done, they would be in a much better state than, than they're in. And we have a situation now where Big Hine, who we We've learnt this week um, is almost certainly not going to be there next year. Um, Big Hine and the new owners uh, or owner against Sam Barrow don't particularly see eye to eye on a number of things, I don't think. And uh, Sam has decided that that Big Hine is is not his man for the future. Um, so that that contract will will run down and uh, they'll shake hands like gentlemen, I'm sure. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, Big Hine's relationship with the club has been founded on a close relationship with uh, Luigi and and, and 
of it for such a long time. Um, and now that they are not the main movers at the club, then, you know, the, the whole dynamics there are, are kind of shifting. Um, fascinating week for the Buffaloes, I think. Um, Peter Gerkins had a really good game um, against against his former club. Um, some people don't think he should have been on the park. Um, in the end, there was a particular tackle that that a lot of people were screaming for a straight red for. I don't think it was a red actually. It was he, it was reckless and he lost control. But um, I don't think it's quite as bad as as some people wanted to to make out it to be. On the other hand, for Antwerp, um, Andreka. Had a really good game, I felt. Big shout out to him. Um, and yeah, Ben's right. I mean, the, here are two big hitters who are really going for it in this game. And, you know, this is what we like to see in the playoffs. So, you know, if people go into these games with an attitude like this, then most of the games in the playoffs should be pretty good. Yeah, Van Hazebroek. Well, we already heard some noise from an interview from Sambaro that uh, before the game, that it was not really looking well. Per- through the lines, you could read that uh, that 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 the relationship was not going to be was great, and that Van Azenbroek probably might leave at the end of the season, or would not be prolonged. And well, Van Azenbroek was uh, well qu- quite livid after the game, and uh, also throwing uh, players under the bus and all. Like I, I don't think he cares anymore as well in a way. <laughs> <laughs> like he's never been shy of a comment or a moan or anything. Of course, we know that he's always entertaining, but. Yeah, I might, he might have gone a bit far here, uh, especially on the putter. I believe it was uh, the on the fi- in the miss that he had in the final minutes. Yeah, um, just and and yeah, obviously the Candus reaction, which I can understand. Candus, it's not the first time this season already as well. Like he's not been as reliable as he, you know, that he, that at least Van Azenbroek wants him to be. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, nonetheless, <laughs> that he he was really. In such a it's in such rage mode <laughs> this uh, this week. Um, well, and okay, of course, the circumstances were there, of course, as well, like get, get being kicked out of Europe as well in in this game where they they really should have won. Um, yeah, okay, Antwerp did get that uh, ex- uh, expected goals of two, then maybe, but that's of course including that penalty that that's taking ho- almost half of that uh, expected goals. And they gave it away. Well, Candus gave it away easily, of course. Also, the last time um, Gent have won at home against Antwerp is also um, an interesting statistic. Um, um, yeah, the people following the Dutch media will know this one. Maybe the, the Dutch-speaking media, the other one, the French-speaking maybe as well. But I'm, I'm curious if you guys know. <laughs> when was the last time? Make do, take, take your guess. <laughs> Whoa. Four, four years? I'm not, I'm not saying anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it's not, they've not done it since Antwerp came back into the Pro League, so what? That's already, that, that that's definitely true. So yeah, okay, that also, <laughs> that's already an explanational half uh, why that's so long, of course, but uh, they have won on the, the 1st of October in 2000. So uh, all, <laughs> only once, I, I, I would assume, I would assume. Wild. That's wild. I assume only once, maybe twice in the, in, in this, yeah, <laughs> decade, uh, century even so, so far. Uh, yeah, no, in de- decade, not even obviously, <laughs> but uh yeah, and like I said, yeah, performance was actually better from Gint, uh, I felt, but yeah, they 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 are at nonetheless now out of the uh, for the moment out of the Champions playoffs as well by the narrowest of the 
of of distance of course uh, and yeah um i also wanted to mention here because scott already took the word of my mouth there as well uh, scoring against his former side um yeah, but but I might have needed to get a red card. I also actually in Anderlecht, in Anderlecht, there were also a few phases where, well, the referees were quite lenient, so I guess that also went into this game. Uh, but there was a phase, uh, the most controversy I think was even against uh, Batai uh, with a with a challenge um, on the ankle of uh, again player. I'm I'm so bad with names, <laughs> but uh, well, anyway. Let's not talk too much about the referees here, I guess. Uh, but um, worth mentioning still also that uh, both sides still have to play Union as well. So that already reveals a little bit about how tough Union's schedule actually still is. But also, yeah, that, that there's no easy way into this uh, Champions playoffs for either of those sides either, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be a slog. And uh, just touching on that European game, that was one of the most frustrating things I've ever sat and watched. It was so... They had so many chances. I've never seen over two legs aside absolutely batter someone without actually winning either of the things. It was just, and I, I did like, okay, I get it, like of why they made the decision about not having the fans there. Um, but you just felt at the end, it, it, they probably would have scored if the fans were there. That the atmosphere that would have been created, like they were just pumping, like Maccabi under so much pressure. And they just couldn't find. And you just felt if the fans had been there, like the intensity would have been even higher and stuff like that. But alas, it just felt like that was going to. I feel like if they'd kept all the players they had in January, they because we saw what they did last season to that. Was it Bashaka Istanbul Bashaka where they just destroyed them in that away game? They they would have destroyed them in this one. Like Koipers would have probably scored a hat trick. Like they had so many chances in this one. So. That was really frustrating and absolutely kind of dropped dropped kind of chance. But they weren't really going to do much in that competition anyway, let's be fair. Like they they that was the easiest game they probably would have had going through. I don't even know who Maccabi High forget, was it Fiorentina or someone like that in the next round? So they'd have probably lost that one. Anyway. Uh you always mentioned Union's schedule. They probably had then their easiest game of that kind of run in almost, uh, when they faced standardly age at home. Uh, took them about 35 minutes to score. Took a bit of VAR as well. It's a foul on Dennis Eckert, I think, if I remember. Again, I'm rubbish with kind of remember who gets fouled what. There's been some talk about whether it was or wasn't a penalty. I just presumed it was when I saw it. It just looked like a stupid tackle in the box, reckless, incredibly unnecessary. Um, Nielsen steps up to take the eventual penalty. Uh, he finds the back of the net to make it 1-0. The second goal, there's no argument about this. is a fantastic goal, just kind of playing from back to front by Union, just completely taking standard apart. Uh, ball eventually finds Nielsen running the channel, uh, which is, yeah, always nice to see a big man doing a little bit of a channel run. Uh, his ball in is just first-timed with Dennis Eckhart. Got a similar finish to Yura Saw, just kind of that, just you take that touch and you just flick it behind beyond the goalkeeper. Um, at that point, I think... You're, if you're Union, you're like, we could just probably go on and kill this game off. Um, the referee was getting abuse from people in the stands, <laughs> notably from the standard Liège uh, affinity, which got caught on camera. He's had to since apologise, which I thought was quite funny. Um, <laughs> but then probably the biggest probably the biggest shock of the weekend, Scott, you kind of mentioned you were shocked when it happened. Uh, Moussa Tenepo scored a goal. Oh, I'm so happy for the man. Not the prettiest of goals. <laughs> Goes through a crowd to find its way into the back of the net. But oh, it's nice to see Musa Gileppo getting a goal. He came on at half time, 
So it's quite nice for him to kind of contribute there. They couldn't get back into the game fully, though. Um, they had a couple of chances and all that. But yeah, they just could not find the back of the net to make it 2-2. Two, two. So yeah, Union get another win. Standard, I guess they're probably quite happy that this weekend the results went the way they did um, in terms of all the other clubs below them because... Yeah, no one was able to catch up with them in terms of point. Only Leuven kind of got a little bit closer to them in terms of like dragging them all the way back in and can overtake them next up. So not the worst weekend for them to lose. Uh, but if they could have just scraped a point or two, they'd feel a lot better. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Ben was talking there about the abuse directed towards the the, the referee from from I think it was Pierre Locht, wasn't it? Um, who had no idea that the camera was on him. I don't know why, because the camera's on, you know, most of these people most of the time. And he was, yeah, he, in fact, you could literally actually tell what he was saying. And I'm not going to repeat it here, but it was quite funny because he was sitting beside Fergal Harkin, who was very somber and had his head down slightly. And it was all very composed while um, Pierre locked uh, standards president was 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 losing his shit a bit um and he has since uh, apologized for it but i think that speaks more to the the pressure that the club are feeling internally at the moment you know he sees them concede a penalty that you know i like ben i thought it was a penalty at the time now but having seen it since i i i kind of have some sympathy with Pierre Locked a little bit and if you're in that situation you can't really afford to kind of concede penalties where you're going to be up against a side who kind of score goals for fun. It's worth pointing out that Union have been conceding a little bit more than than we're used to seeing recently. They're not managing to, to, to get the shutouts that they that they used to do which is kind of interesting. Um, Alexander Blesson, after this game, very intriguingly tore into his players um, at full time when he had them gathered together in the centre circle before they embraced the fans, as they always do at home. Um, and I can kind of understand why, because in that second half, Union really did switch off for the majority of it. They, you know, they took their foot off the pedal and really allowed Standard to have the ball. And I think psychologically, it says something maybe quite interesting about what some of those players think of that opposition that they felt that two 0 that you know the game was 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 kind of done. Um, Musa Gineppo's goal was intriguing mainly because it was one of those goals that kind of came out of out of nowhere. Um, so you know, he, I think he was just underlining that it doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, don't take your foot off the pedal and I think the, the message is probably um, it's worth reminding them of particularly when they've got the the big cup semi-final uh, coming up tomorrow evening as we were saying earlier where you know they're really going to need to be at it for the whole game I think the first goal in that game is going to be very very important to the outcome um, yeah standard again same old problems they came into this game you know probably not expecting very much anything would have been a bonus didn't really produce very much at all came Kept at it. Um, Ivan Leko's been trying very hard this week to just kind of keep them on the on the straight and narrow, and just reiterate how important it is that they don't um, let up themselves because you know they're not safe yet. I think most people think they're going to be okay, but again, other than that open fixture in the last week of the regular season, I don't see too many points uh, for them there. Um, Everyone in the standard camp is confident they're going to be all right, um, but you can kind of feel the nervousness. And I think, unfortunately for Ivan Leko, that's what he's trying to juggle at the moment and mitigate that. Yeah, definitely. I've, I also well think so. Standard still struggling. Will probably need that last game. Um, I think, uh, regardless of other results, well, 
well, if they're really lucky, maybe maybe with other results, it might they might be safe. But if, even if they don't get any points themselves anymore, but I doubt that that really will be the case, or that you want to count on that anyway. Uh, main thing for them, I guess, as well. Again, Van Hoes the injury and uh, the hernia. Latest is that he want that he hopes to play the season still, though. So at least that's that. But I, I feel like that's really, really, especially with his injury history. I feel like that is a very, very optimistic. Um, yeah. Um, really hope it's not a case, but it's really looking more and more like it that it's just a case of like the body is just not that fit for the, the yeah for performing on the high level uh, in the in the top sport environments. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'm completely wrong with that. But well, it's everyone is asking the same question here. I think since it's been so often lately. And from the start of his career, actually, I don't have that much on Union. Well, can keep repeating the stats so far: twenty-one games and counting. Uh, and also, we know with their bonus system that that's uh, all their players will benefit from that as well. Uh, if they win more games in a row, their their uh, their their bonuses get higher each with every game as well. So they'll be happy about that. Um, was regardless of whether it was a was one or not. It's really a question of if does Eckert actually get a touch or not there. Of course, you guys both touched on it. Like, was it one like that you thought it was one? I think it is, but like, it's really difficult to see if he gets a touch. And if he doesn't, well, then no, of course, that's that's a bit, yeah, it's I, I, yeah, difficult, difficult one to judge. But regardless of that, was their thirteenth penalty of the season already? That's uh, that is also a lot anyway, regardless of correct or non-incorrect or anything just uh it's just a high number uh, yeah just wanted to mention that without anything uh, conclusions on that or anything but except well maybe they come into the box a lot <laughs> i guess you can say that <laughs> no they definitely do and they did that um against Eintracht frankfurt obviously last week that was a fantastic performance uh winning there dennis eckhart's goal the second guy is so good it's such a good goal Absolutely just smashes it on the volley uh, at the back post. Really, really nice goal. I can see why Blessing, I think he probably just wanted to remind them, didn't he? He's like, come on now, that we, we, can, we can't afford to kind of like coast through if we want to keep challenging on every, at every level. Um, saw Stipe Perica come on in the second half. That was a kind of like, oh. <laughs> still, uh, <laughs> You're still there as well. <laughs> that's, the th- that's the thing with this club, isn't it? There's so many times, like, every season, isn't it? We're like, obviously we've, we've joked about Lifeis always being there. He's like, constantly there, despite always being apparently he's going to leave. Then yeah, you're like, oh, Perica's still there. Like, they have bought some proper dross kind of stuff over the last couple of years, haven't they? That They just can't get rid of them because they pay them this we also money. Saw- that's exactly it. I mean, obviously, they're trying to kind of clear out players that they don't see as having a future there. We saw the weird scenario this week as well of Bakari, who had agreed with Fergal Harkin to terminate his contract, and the board went, no, we, you know, he's going to see his deal out. And you're thinking, surely it makes sense to let him go, you know what I mean? And then that money becomes available for you to, to use again in the summer rather than rather than waiting it just you know you've got a player sitting around being unhappy as well it's just it's 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 really strange but he's even stranger as well because i don't think he's, he's better than life is and has been this season like he's actually been reasonably useful um wasn't there also something that someone said he was ill and he's like i'm not ill <laughs> i can play i'm just not being allowed to play um so yeah they they need a clear up but they need a clear up we say this kind of every year because all these loan players will, will disappear probably because they can't don't have any money 
but then they're paying people like Perico. He's, he was he wasn't good enough. He's like twenty eight. It's not like he's young. It's just he's not good enough, and they they can't get rid of him. Um, so yeah, and then Van Huysen, it really is sad, isn't it? Because you, there's these players throughout kind of footballing history who just their quality, but they just don't. Their body just cannot cope. Like you look at like Ledley King's probably one of the best examples, isn't it? Like he literally couldn't train. He was such a good central defender, but he just couldn't train. Reading had we had Anton Ferdinand, Rio's brother, and you just like you were worried watching the warm up. You're like the man's going to get injured just warming up. He just can't. Like very very good player, like very intelligent footballer, like really really good. And it's usually the centre backs, isn't it? What we're talking about, they just can't. They put you have to be so like physically ready. Um, so it will be same, but hopefully, like you said, hopefully it's just another like he'll just keep getting through them, and eventually he will get there. But it just it feels kind of like it's just it's it's a constant with him, and it's it's really quite a shame. It's also especially with this one, but uh, it's a previous some of the previous ones about the the way he falls, like like it's a bit it's a bit weird. Like I don't know if there is anything you can do about that, like to to have some judo training or anything. I don't know, like others. There's I I don't know. I. It, it's, but I assume that they would already well have tried something like that at least I know. Um, but although you don't want to really, it's a bit weird of a concept, I guess. But like, yeah, maybe you, maybe it's not the worst idea. You, you're gonna have started something here because like only a couple of years ago we thought the idea of having a throwing coach was the most ridiculous thing in the world. But now that's kind of like a, a thing that people do. So maybe they're gonna have how to fall over and not get injured coaches, like judo coaches, just suddenly being drafted into like top top flight clubs. But <laughs> oh, who knows? Um, let's go to up and then um, haven't scored for. Oh, I worked out the other day. They have not scored since six i think it is six, six games yeah. now i think yeah. well, not one of those tests that keep going you can keep counting every week you know? yeah <laughs> might, might be kind of just stick it in the books for the whole season they welcomed uh circle bruges to the kevag stadion um yeah obviously didn't win uh didn't score uh he, he's trying florian he is trying he's mess, mixing everything up to see what can happen Emond back, uh, as Scott said, the man with the longest cold that's ever existed. Uh, he's just he's just back. I don't know. I felt like he was out for ages. Um, didn't really do anything. To be fair, um, I thought this one of these stats was absolutely ridiculous from this game. Edgar Utkus, the Lithuanian defender for Circle Bruges, uh, he had fourteen aerial duels, which is quite a lot. Quite a lot of aerial dueling to do. He won all fourteen of them. That's insane. Um, I think he, he, overall according to footmob, I don't know how they register all these things, but the aerial ones I can kind of understand. The rest of them I don't. But they said he had twenty jewels and he only lost two of them. Like he, absolute monster performance from him. Um, they were very happy with Urpen going direct and long because Popovich, Urkus, and Darland are, are pretty well accustomed to the air, and they probably have to face that in training every week anyway with Denki and the like. So they're more than happy to deal with that. Um, for Circle, though, they, they didn't really get going until the second half. Um, it was the link-up play between, I believe it was Augusto, um, who starts to get a bit more game time. He finds Denki running kind of across the defenders. Nice run from him, and then he just puts it kind of back the other way. Um, just It felt like one of those finishes you watch that like the pundits would be like, the man just knows where the goal is. He doesn't really have to look sort of thing. I feel like he's in that sort of form, isn't he, where he, he just kind of knows where it is. Um, you just felt it was inevitable that he would eventually score against this defence. Um, they then decided to help him anyway, 
they were like, well, you've had one, why not have a second? Um, <laughs> I can't remember which one of the, it's either Finland or Palsen. It doesn't really matter which one it is, but there's no danger or anything. And he just runs past the ball. Um, like, yeah, I've, I've yeah seen it back in the day. We had a player, Jimmy Kebe. You'd always know if he was going to be good or not if he took the ball with him on his first run. If he left the ball behind, you're like, he's having a bad day. Uh, so Palsen or Finland, one of them, one of them left the ball behind. Denki was like, well, I'll take that. And, yeah, he's, he's running in, he's just a one-on-one situation. He's running and he's got, I believe it's Minder next to him. Um, so he could lay it off. But Selena doesn't make him make that decision. He just stands in his goal. Like, it was really weird. It felt like you've just put this kid in goal that doesn't actually know what he's doing. It was strange because he's he's a he's like a very good goalkeeper. and We've seen some good moments for him. But he just doesn't come out to kind of narrow the angle down. And Denki just has to kind of like walk it in and then shoot. He's got all the goal to aim at. He doesn't narrow it down at all. And, yeah, I know it's annoying that like, if you came out and he plays it across to Minda, but better to be beaten that way than just letting him walk into the goal because he's still at the pass on anyway. Like He could have done anything. You didn't force him to make a different decision. There was literally no pressure. It was really, really weird. Um, and I, w- I w- kept watching it to see if he, he just doesn't narrow the angle down at all. Very, very strange. Uh, circle win, obviously. Uh, good to see Abby Francis getting back on the pitch at the end as well. Had a haircut, though. I didn't recognise him at first. Uh, he's kind of trimmed it all back a bit since coming back. So that was nice to see. Uh, just, yeah, for Circle, it was a fan, kind of the best team they could have played with kind of the sides all kind of that had picked up points around them for the top six. If they could have picked a team, I think they'd have picked Erpen because Erpen at the moment are the worst side in the league. Like they're worse than Kultrijk in terms of form and stuff. They can't score. I think they're gone. I, I don't really give them any hope of staying up at all. I just think kind of like we spoke about Charlotte where there's no really ident- real identity there's no identity in this team there's no real fight there's no quality there's there's just nothing really there is it it just looks like a challenger pro league side in rating and I don't think they'd get promoted from the challenger in this with this team but like, I don't think they'd be better than some of the teams we've seen down there I think there's more individual quality in some of those other sides than this lot so yeah I think this just kind of confirmed it, didn't it? And for Circle, it's just, I wish we could play for the next couple of games because then we'd be guaranteed of a top six. <clears throat> it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think this, to some extent, is a, as far as Open's concerned anyway, is a lesson in what happens when you don't continually invest in, in a side. And that doesn't necessarily mean spending a lot of money each summer in preparation for each year. It just means like generally, uh, or, or having much of a plan beyond let's try and stay competitive enough to, to, to maintain our pro league position because the, the reality is things are going to catch up with you at some point. And I agree with Ben, we said it last week as well. I think this is the year where all of that is going to come back to to bite them. Ben mentioned Utkus's uh, uh, 14 aerial header duels. In the entire game, Circle had 51 aerial duels, of which they won 61%. So uh, Edgaris is responsible for, you know, a very, very healthy chunk of them and was was bossing things with his head. That's that, that's for sure this weekend. Circle getting the job done in the end, uh, much better in the second half, as Ben was saying. Um, I think probably there were some reasonably strong words about upping upping the intensity, I think, in, in the second half to allow them to get the job done. Kevin Denke being given, you know, a gift certainly for, for one of them. And Ben's right, there, there's just... You know, he just exudes confidence at the moment. He's feeling good about himself, um, which in lots of ways is worth remarking on what we did a few weeks ago. This is something worth highlighting in itself because obviously Kevin's mum passed away recently um, unexpectedly and 
obviously everyone at the club, as I was saying at the time, is kind of quite worried about him. And, you know, from a slightly selfish point of view, they're thinking, what does this mean for us? Because, you know, he's so important to us and he hasn't let it affect his football. And I think he's probably channeled some of that, I suspect, into his football, which is, is work for everybody. And that, that's 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 a great thing. Um, but yeah, he's he's been really, not a surprise, but a revelation in terms of his consistency this season. You know, he was always going to do very well, I think, but I didn't honestly think he was going to probably end up being top scorer, which I, I, I think he's, he, he will now. Um, and the value of him, as we've remarked recently, is actually increasing week on week as well. Um, and Rember Romance phone, the technical director at Circle, that that I'm sure will be um, kind of ringing quite a lot just now with um, the usual. Tell me, tell me a little bit more t- about Kevin's um, situation. Well, he scored 22 goals of their 38, so he's Mister 57 percent. So I'll I'll add that's uh, that that I could, that that they can tell them for sure. Also, he is suspended next week against uh, Mechelen, so that's actually maybe for them the most important part. Uh, the most in what on paper is the most difficult game left before the uh, the playoffs. Um, they will be missing him, uh, so fifty seven percent of their goal production. And uh, Van der Bruggen as well is also suspended, even uh, one extra game as well. But I suppose they have a bit more players there that uh, in quantity that they can use there. You think he actually in quantity as well, but yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, some of them have actually already shown some glimpses, like Olaikbe like as well. But yeah, so if will they, it's it's just a bit of a probably the worst game they they would miss want to miss him in for so far, I guess. Uh, nonetheless, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah, of course. So twenty two goals uh, and yeah, this quite a routine win here, I guess. Uh, for Urpe, yeah, probably the second team that is. Yeah, between quotation marks, certain of relegation playoffs now. Um, of course, mathematically, that's not the case. But yeah, um, mathematically, they're also still in a better position as, than Kortrijk. But I'm not sure if that will stay for long either. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is, well, I don't know if it's a positive, but since I already gave a shout out as well to another other debutants uh, this week, Filizai, uh, uh, Fili- how is his name? Filarizzo debut. I hope I did uh, not butcher that. I'm sorry if I did, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, always good to see academy players making their debut. Um, so that's uh, that's a well, not at least neutral notes I wanted to get for Urba's point of view there, of course, as well. And uh, yeah, we'll see uh, if they really are in the like, yeah, when will they ever score a goal again? Place your bets. <laughs> <laughs> maybe never <laughs> I don't know it's funny that the only positive we can say is that a, a kid came on in the 83rd minute that just kind of sums it up and just on on kind of um, on the denk uh, he so last year he scored 11 goals in the league uh, but he actually had like nine assists and I think that was part of his game that was really really good last year with his link up with Ueda like how many times have we see them play that long throw in into him he holds it up flicks around Ueda smashes it in he's now transitioned into being the goal scorer isn't it so it's it's really kind of interesting to see. And it's like, if you're scouting him, you kind of can see what he can do either or now. You can kind of put him in either either kind of situation. And I saw some talk about like Club Bruges were interested in him. And I was like, I can't imagine Circle ever selling a player in like to Club Bruges in that situation. I feel like they're going to send him abroad, aren't they? Like that's, that's kind of, they'll, they'll wait until they get that offer from, like, I know Betis have been interested. There's a couple of Spanish sides interested. Like 
I'd be very surprised if he goes next door. Um, it'd have to take quite a lot of money um, to do that. So Ar- arguably, really... arguably, they might have more money than the Spanish side still. Even <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the way they're going at the moment, yeah. But I wonder. I, I feel like they'd probably just be like, "No, nah, we're, we're sending you to Spain, mate. Uh, we're not. We don't want to see you kind of every day, but in the black and blue instead." Um, but yeah, good win for them, and yeah, big Kev uh, doing big Kev things. Uh, Scott challenger let's go to the challenger uh where Urpen probably will be and Cortaic probably will be next season yeah well we've now got a, a situation what we've reached what match day 23 so seven games left uh before the the end of the regular season there there are now only seven points separating the top eight um it's it's getting tighter all the time there and interestingly some of the sides at the top dropped points this weekend so Patro Eisden uh beat Liers uh, 3-0 more than them in a second because they have appointed a new T1 Beveren and Denza played out a, a quite an entertaining 2-2 draw um Anderlecht Futures got three points they beat Dender 2-1 RFC Liège and uh, SL16 in the local Liège derby finished one each that was a bit feisty uh, RFC Liège have now been fined 10,000 euros and their fans have been banned from the next three away games because of the interruption literally right at the end of the game um yeah, collective punishment, that's a discussion for another time. Uh, Oostend lost uh, at home 4-1 to club next. Beershot dropped points, surprisingly, at home to Sarang. That finished goalless. Yong Genk and Lommel finished one each in the Limburg derby. And perhaps the biggest surprise of the weekend in terms of results was Zotta Varagam dropping points away to Frank Baran, who managed to win 2-1. So... The big winners of the weekend really are probably Patro Eisden. They're now up to third because Beershot and Dens are dropped points. Zalta, courtesy of that loss, that surprise loss, have now dropped down to fourth. Um, and the pressure on Vincent Everard is rising slightly. You know, it, it res, rose a couple of weeks ago, I think, because of some things that were said. And um, yeah, things are looking a bit a bit tricky there at the moment. Sarang and SL16 remain in the drop zone um, and are, are, are both in pretty big trouble and I think are probably big, big favourites um, to, to disappear. I mentioned Liers. They have appointed, they do have a new T1. Uh, it's Sven Vandenbroek, 44-year-old Belgian, um, who has spent the last eight years uh, of his career in, in Africa, in different guises, in different roles. I think the biggest feather in his cap is perhaps winning AFCON as assistant to Hugo Bruce um, at Cameroon. That was uh, 2017. But he's also um, he's won, won the league in Tanzania with Simba. Uh, and and the domestic cup there, and also won a domestic cup in in, in Morocco. So um, he's he's spent a long time since he he retired as a player. Of course, played for Mechelen and and Laers as well for a two or three year period. So he knows the club. Um, coming back home to Belgium and is now ready to step up and, as he said, make a name for himself in his in his home country. So um, he's getting dropped in at the deep end because they still need some points just to make sure they they maintain their their pro league state challenger pro league status. Let's hope we see a couple of uh, Simba players making their way over to the to the uh, challenger pro league. That'd be quite fun. Uh, there's some. That's a big club as well. That's a very big club to have managed yeah. um, in Tanzania, and then managing Morocco like that's that's going to be fun as well. So, I don't think he'll be daunted um, by managing the challenger, but he's definitely got a challenge on his hands. 
I used to look at that kind of, let's go one to eight, I guess, because, yeah, Bevan obviously still in the hunt to go up. Only one of those sides won this weekend. Like, they're all kind of bottling it in their own little ways, aren't they? That They're all getting a little bit nervous. They're all getting a little bit jittery. Like, Zolta, you'd have thought they've kind of had it in the bag most of the season. They, they appeared to be kind of very, very much coasting through. You just start to mess around a bit in that league and it just you just don't know what's going to happen. So, uh, it's just going to... That, yeah, like we've said it a couple of times now, the playoffs are going to be a bloodbath in that league. It is going to be because the sides that are missing, going to miss out, are going to be really frustrated. And then there'll be a couple of like surprise kind of packages, I guess, like Denver. Um, Denver RFC, I guess, they're kind of, it's a f- complete free hit, the players for them. There's absolutely no pressure on them getting promoted. Um, although with RFC days, they've obviously got these new kind of investors coming in and stuff like that. So maybe they'll be like, oh, <laughs> we've bitten off a bit more than we can chew if we get promoted because now we've got a funded a pro league side instead of a, a challenger side. Um, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, all hotting up in the challenger. That's for sure. Um, I think that's it for this week's episode, guys. As always, it's been a pleasure. Always, always a pleasure. Um, Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week and enjoy the Cup semi-finals if you get a chance to watch them. Nothing to add there. Yeah, enjoy enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, absolutely. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. If you've liked it more and you've already given us a a rating, you can always uh, buy us a coffee at Buy Me A Coffee. Uh, Just search Belgium Football Podcast and you'll find us on that as well. Well, any questions you have for next week's episode, please do get in touch with us in all the usual ways. And we look forward to speaking to you again very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.